coming to you from beautiful Boulder, Colorado, in the University of Colorado, in the St. Thomas Aquinas Catholic Center at the University of Colorado in Boulder. You are listening to the word on the hill. <laughs> you just scared me. I'm like, I feel frightened inside. All right, I'm going to stop it. I'm not going to use it. No, dude, that was awesome. I just thought I scared you. Yeah, you scared me. <laughs> Did you stop the recording? No. Oh, Still going. Good. I, I just felt like it was, like I was at like a Mexican soccer game. Goal! <laughs> Got it? Yeah. I'm Scott Powell. <laughs> and I am Father Peter Musset. The Reverend. The Reverend. Peter Musset. Dude, what do you? What does it take to become a right reverend? Being an Anglican. Oh, I think. Yeah. And we're back. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't hear anything that we just spoke because I started saying crazy stuff and throwing things. And our headphones stopped working. Yeah, but we're cool now. Well, I don't know if we're necessarily cool, but we are working. <laughs> we're we're whatever we were before. Yeah, because there's people. Cool or not? Do you guys think that we're cool out there? Don't answer that. Well, unless you think we're cool. They just answered it in their heart. And and whatever happened inside of you, you have to go to confession if you judge this and say you're not cool. <laughs> this is how Catholic guilt works, friends. Absolutely. I just have to engage that part of you. Somebody actually engaged Catholic guilt on me recently and I was like and it worked. Like like it was a it was a phenomenally effective reality in my life. And I was mm-hmm. like, dude, I'm a priest. I've been in religious life for 14 years. I've been living a Catholic life for 35 years, and Catholic guilt still works on me, man. Man, it does on me too. Does I feel it? guilty about everything. Oh man, why is that? Because I'm a melancholic, sanguine. So you feel something really. You, we we talked about this like two yeah, weeks ago. It goes ago. away fairly quickly. <laughs> You're <laughs> like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. What do we got next today? <laughs> yeah, but I feel it really deeply when I feel it. That's true. All right, shout outs. You got any shout outs today for the Peter? Yo, I got a shout out to, um, okay, so this is the thing is I was going to try to make something up. I was going to like, I was going to try to like go and be like, um, I was going to try to cause mayhem in somebody's relationship. Why and didn't you? Yeah, we got a shout out. Brianne says, what's up to Ty? That's, I, that's all I really have. I, that's. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's not really well, good. We, no, it's it's good. We need your shout outs cuz cuz if I, if I if I try to make them up then I'm just not that cool. No, you're still cool, but you're just not that good at making up shout outs. <laughs> well, I do have uh, a shout out to James Cowell, our friend up in the UK, um who we've given a shout out to on this show before. So I'll I'll skip you James because we've already given you a shout out. And we will give a shout out to Karis instead. Uh Karis Willie who's a wonderful young lady up in the UK. And uh, James had a question about um, something that he'd heard me say in a talk before, which uh, I'll just mention it super quickly, you know, because we, we talk oftentimes about the state of the world, which is a mess and things are ugly. And, um, you know, U- one of the things... why you ain't got no alibi, you ugly. You ugly. <laughs> yeah. But despite that, see, this is, the, this is the Catholic worldview, and we talk a lot on the show about the reasons for hope and, and why we have them. And that's the true definition of what it means to be a Christian, is mean, it means to be a people of hope, which we tend to not be because we look around at the state of the world and everything is messy and it's chaotic and there's sin and there's everything else that's going on. And um, I, 
James was looking for a particular line that I stole from um, my friend Monsignor Stuart Swetland, who had a very good line worthy of stealing. And it was the idea that as, as Catholics and as Christians, we believe we don't live in a broken world anymore, even though it seems broken. We don't live in a broken world. Rather, we live in a broken but redeemed world. Because it is a world that's been broken by sin, but that's not the end of the story, even though that feels like the end of the story. It's a broken, it's a world broken by sin, but one that's been redeemed by Jesus Christ. Therefore, in a certain sense, everything our senses are telling us are lying to us. Because our senses tell us that evil is in control, that death reigns, that sin abounds, that chaos is everywhere. Yet we say, we go to Mass and we say things like, but Jesus has saved us and death is no more and sin is forgiven and everything is great now. And death death has not won, but death people has not still won. die. Yeah. Right. So how do you believe that and not be a schizophrenic? Well, I think what St. Paul would say in a lot of his epistles is that literally your, your senses are lying to you. All the devil has the power to do anymore is lie to you and to say, look, this is what the world is. But the reality is Jesus has actually risen from the dead. So even though we're going to die, that's not the end of the story either. And um, yeah, Satan doesn't have any power over us except to tell us that we're still slaves to sin, that we're still disasters, that we're still, you know, that that he is actually one. I, I heard an analogy once by, I, I think it was Scott Hahn who gave the analogy, Scott Hearn, who gave the analogy. Scott Hearn. He may have stolen it from somebody else, but he gave the, you know, he said that the state that we live in now is, is um, similar to the state uh, between... During World War II, between D-Day and VE Day, right? So, so imagine the state of Europe, Eastern Europe, say, right after the war had been won. So the Allied forces had won the war, but they'd not yet sort of emancipated everyone. The concentration camps hadn't been closed down. So, I mean, imagine you're in a concentration camp, say, controlled by the Nazis, and you have just heard that the Allied forces have actually defeated the Germans. You're you're done. It's over. What did all of the German soldiers start doing in the concentration camps when they heard that news? Did they say, oh, you guys can all go now. I guess this is over. It was a good fight while it lasted. Go home. No, they tried to wreak as much havoc and destruction and death and chaos as possible. Why? Because they'd already lost, and they knew that they had lost. And so if the world seems utterly chaotic, the reason it seems chaotic is because evil is actually lost, and it's freaked out in its last-ditch attempts to destroy whatever possible because of its inevitable destruction, it's trying to do that. But that's the state of the world we live in. But we can't, we can't uh, misunderstand the reality. Christ has one. It just doesn't feel like it all the time. Anyway, that's that's, that's a good my answer. shout out. That's a that's he just got a good long answer. That's you got awesome. a long one, James. Woohoo! I feel like singing today. <laughs> <laughs> I just got to say, I mean, just like I'm just got to transition my heart into like being like. Uh, you know, that was really heavy, and, like, I'm not feeling that heavy. I'm sorry. Well, let me give a different shout-out to Grant Wilson, who has offered me um, some killer coffee if I ever make my way to southern Illinois, central Illinois. Oh. And as we all know, Avery, don't forget this, we all know I'm a big <laughs> fan of coffee. Avery always listens to this show right before she's had her morning coffee, and Dude, we always I, talk about coffee. I was talking to I was talking to her, and she was like, oh, my gosh, did you listen to Scott when you weren't on the podcast the other day? And she was like, she was like, I was driving in my car, and I was looking around, like, embarrassed, red-faced, <laughs> that I got a shout-out on because the podcast. Because everybody else on Highway 36 was listening to this. They were, well, like, simultaneously. I know. Yeah. So. But anyway, Grant says he can give me a killer cup of coffee if I make my way to central Illinois, and so... I, I do find my way to Illinois once in a while, so Grant, I want to know where this cup of coffee is, because I will take you up on it, Grant. You're not allowed to give my friend a cup of coffee that will kill him. That is not acceptable. Oh, good point. I mean, like, we just talked about death and sin and wreaking havoc, and I'm not okay with that, because I can't do this podcast alone. I just can't do it. I did it. it last week. 
It was okay. sad though. It was hard. I was just staring at your chair. I know. For you to make fun of me. Well, th- I was like listening to it later, and I was like, I, I, literally, I wanted to just keep like responding, but then you kept talking, and I was like, ah, I mean, it was <laughs> it was messed up. It was like how our podcast is normally. That's true. You just keep talking, and <laughs> oh, I try to respond. Come on, man. <laughs> Oh, I'm just uh, trying to keep us on track today, man. Okay. All right, Pentecost. Pentecost. P- Pentecost. Finally, Pentecost is here. Dude, I like I like the Pentecost, man. Yeah, yeah, I like the Pentecost. I, one of, dude, I love the Perocletus. Mm. I like the Advocate. I like the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Like, I don't, there's just something so way cool about the Holy Spirit um, that I uh, can't wait for Pentecost. Plus, I have to say, in the Rosary itself. I love the middle mysteries, uh, the five. I always love the middle one. You got like the nativity. Of the joyful? Well, all of them. Oh, of all of them. Pentecost, crowning of thorns. Oh, the descent of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Sorry, I, I really, yeah. Man, yeah, dude, you, you've, you've been in the Bible too long. You're thinking. I just had to get there. Okay. Give me a second. Okay, I'll give I'm you a second. I'm a melancholic sanguine. Okay. Cut me some slack, angrily. Okay, back to the Holy Spirit. Paracaleo. Paracaleo. Walk with you. The Pentecost. So hopefully everyone's wearing red today. Aren't you supposed to wear red on Pentecost? You are. I got my cal- liturgical calendar wrong, and I told my daughter to wear red a couple weeks ago. <laughs> and boy, did she feel foolish. <laughs> <laughs> Dude. <laughs> wow. No, she, didn't. she didn't. That's like a father right there. Just kidding. All right, well, should we jump in? To what? <laughs> yes. Readings. Acts 22, 30, nope, 23, 6 through 11. Not even close. What readings are you reading? Oh, hold on. Yeah, you're right. Oh, are you reading the vigil? There's no, different no. readings this week for the vigil, the Saturday vigil, and Pentecost I was, Day. I was on May 16th. <laughs> okay, well, that's a whole different Man. It's a whole different uh, matter. We're going mastering the day. Can't help you there. Acts 2, 1 through 11. When? The time for Pentecost was fulfilled. They were all in one place together. We don't read the readings before we do them. Sometimes I read like a word or two. Oh, okay. A sentence to put us in the context. I always do that. Do you even listen to this? I don't listen. Do you even listen to me when I'm talking? (laughs) What's that you said? (laughs) (laughs) All right, so Pentecost. Word about Pentecost because Pentecost, we associate it with the church, right? And it is the birthday of the church. But Pentecost existed... before that point, by the way, sorry, this is a tangent, and all of you who <laughs> sent us emails <laughs> saying how much you hate our tangents, here's one. Uh, okay, so we always say that Pentecost is the birthday of the church, Happy but birthday. is that really true? It, I mean, the, the church is empowered on Pentecost in a new way, but the church exists certainly from the moment that Jesus is on, he gives the keys to Peter and Matthew and says, uh, you are the rock, and on this I build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against. I mean, he's established, he's... He is building the church. Now, they're empowered in a new way at Pentecost. Yeah. But is it is it proper to say it's the birthday? I've always been a little bit thrown by that. I have, too. To I, be honest. I mean, because, like, what about the institution of the Eucharist? Is well, there right. no church? I mean, yeah, and there's like, a whole—the the priest has already been established on Holy Thursday. The Eucharist is there. you got somebody who is the prime minister, the, the pope, in Matthew 16. So, I mean, I've always been a little bit— is this an infallible sort of statement? I and mean, where where do we get this birthday of the church business? Um, I I, d- I don't know actually. Because I don't want to speak against the church or the father, especially on her birthday. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Happy birthday, <laughs> you! What? What? What did you just say? <laughs> what did you just say? I didn't say anything. All right. 
I was just gonna. I was uh, yeah. Okay, I was just curious about that. I I we think can, that we can I, look into that. I think that the the reality when Jesus says that um um I'm gonna send you an advocate with, that will remind you of all that I told you. Yeah, which it, is our gospel today, right? Which is our gospel today. Which um um as soon as you get into that place and saying because. Because the church is the uh, the uh, the inauguration of the kingdom on earth, right? Uh, and yeah. and so so, uh, and our primary function is to uh, be a, a a vehicle of the Holy Spirit's work, right. yeah, in the world, and that is the sum that is the collective total of all who are engaged in sanctifying grace. Right. So I think in some sense you can, I mean, like I, I can kind of get it, but it doesn't, yeah. but I, but I, it doesn't sound, I mean, it's not dogmatic. That's not my sense. And somebody can correct us, but like, yeah. I, I've never quite understood why you would call it the birthday of the church. Cause it's everybody's, it's like, I mean, theologically speaking, it's like confirmation day. Cause you know, in the Catholic understanding you're baptized and then that baptism is sort of given a new, um, power efficaciousness yes at confirmation and then it's and then it's consummated in the in the in the eucharist after that right which is sort of what's happening at pentecost in, a, in an analogous way right i mean the church is there we've we've received the priesthood we've received the eucharist but now it's being empowered in a new way by the holy spirit yeah i don't know i don't want to get too far off on this we, we we'll have to study the holy spirit to understand that okay 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 anyway pentecost but this was a Jewish feast that existed long before uh, the, the church rolled around. Which stands for 50. 50! 50 what? Pente. It's uh, uh, it's 50 pieces of the thing that you play on the board, the pente. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. Pente. But, well, why is it called, why is this holiday called Pentecost? Oh, because it's 50 days after Passover. Passover. We will feel like singing. So, which is nice, though, because that, excuse me, that actually, I have the hiccups. <laughs> That was a fake one. But this actually tells you where uh, we are in the story, right? Which I, I kind of like. I mean, if you know when Pentecost is, you're like, oh, okay, this is about 50 days after the crucifixion and the resurrection. That's sort of when we're dealing with here. So it's it's been about a little over a month. So if you can kind of put yourself in the shoes of the apostles, would it be like a month later? And, you know, th- this is what we're dealing with. So Pentecost, it's 50 days after Passover. And Pentecost in the Jewish tradition celebrated two things. Originally, Pentecost was a harvest celebration. So it was basically the equivalent of a Jewish Thanksgiving. First fruits. The first fruits, right? So it was the, it was the time when you would give the first fruits. The harvest had come. We're thanking God for the crops and for the rains. And we would give the first fruits back to him. That's part one. But then later on in, in the Jewish history, a piece was added to it. And it became the day that they also celebrated the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. So way back in the time of the Exodus when the oh. law was given. Oh. So it became a holiday where you celebrated that as well. So which kind of makes sense. So it's the it's the harvest it's the the celebration where you would give your first fruits back to God. Why? Because he gave us this profound law and he brought us into his covenant. So we kind of th- are thinking about all of those things. So you're thinking about first fruits and you're thinking about the giving of the law, Moses, Mount Sinai, Exodus, right? That's so, what's on their minds. So then should we think about the Beatitudes and the loaves and the fishes and that? No. Okay, good. No, I don't, I don't think so. Because it's the giving of the new law. It is the giving of the new law. But, but we're not one-to-one, are we? What do you mean? We don't just do what um, the, we don't just imitate as, as it was because the mysteries have been expounded upon. Yes, but there is a piece of this. I wasn't planning on talking about this, but just I'll throw this out and take it for whatever you will. Um, in the in the beginning of Acts of the Apostles, right 
Well, around the same time. So so right before Pentecost. So Pentecost is the beginning of chapter 2. Okay. At the end of chapter 1. So if you remember the scene of, of Acts of the Apostles, how does Acts begin? Acts begins with Jesus' ascension. We talked about that last week, right? Begins with the ascension, and then you have the apostles all together in maybe in the upper room. But it says they're all gathered together, and they have this problem, right? And their problem is that what, – what's their problem? Do you remember? After the, after the ascension, the apostles get together, and they're like, uh-oh, something's wrong. What – no, I don't remember what it what's wrong. Well, there's not twelve apostles. Oh, because because we Judas, have the betrayer. Yeah, so Judas has already killed himself. So they get together and they say, "Okay, well, this is great." Matthias but and there's Barnabas only one. And... There, there's one missing. So they go through this whole process, right, of Matthias and, and Barsabbas, and they have to elect a new apostle. So what? Here's what's kind of interesting. In chapter one, verse fifteen, it says, after the the naming of the eleven apostles, it says, "In those days, Peter stood up among the brethren." And that says the company of persons was in all about 120. So the first gathering of the church, the church, is about 120 people. And this includes the apostles, it's the women, it's the the other disciples. Mary's probably there, Mary Magdalene. 120 folks. But here's what's weird. Dude, that's like a super cadet. That was about the uh, amount of people that were at the funeral this morning. Was it really? Yeah. Interesting. That's that like, Dude, that's intense. What a serious crowd of people. Well, but here's what's weird about it. I don't, I don't know this. I'm throwing out an idea, and you can take it for whatever you will. But the Jewish mindset, when, when, when Jewish historians wrote about certain— So Jewish, the Jewish mindset is very big on numbers. They loved numbers. They loved the significance of numbers. We talked about seven, about 12, all these things. And I know Luke wasn't a Jew, and he's it, the and it's more this. And it's more about quality than it is quantity. It's more about quality than quantity sometimes. But there's something interesting to me that he says the words, there was about 120. And just reading from from this kind of genre of writing and the Jewish mindset, nothing you you wouldn't say. Well, God created in the world eh, about about seven days, you know, give or take. It's yeah, it's, yeah. it's not you know there were about twelve apostles. It's it sticks out to me for some reason the fact that it says there were about one hundred and twenty, and it bothers me hmm. because I wonder if there's something to that, and I wonder. So follow me on this. I'm following. I wonder if he says about, and again, I don't know. But what if he says about because the number of the church is actually not the number it's supposed to be because one is absent. There's not a 12th apostle at this point and it's going to go on and then it'll describe their election process and they choose Matthias. Did they choose Matthias? Yeah, right. Yeah, Matthias. They choose Matthias and they go through this process and once he's elected, then there are 12 apostles. And I believe that what's being said here is it's it's using the word about 120 because the number's not complete yet. And once they elect the new apostle, the 12th apostle, yeah. there are finally 120. Oh. Now, what does that have to do with anything? Well, here's what it has to do with something. Again, take this for whatever you will. It's just a theory. What is this? Pentecost is the harvest celebration. What do you do at the harvest celebration? You said it. You give the first fruits. You give the first fruits, which is what? I mean, what? what's the Catholic term for giving your first fruits? Um, uh, what, e- Eucharisteo? I mean, to, to no, give, no, no, no. What, like, what does everybody do at the collection time? They uh, give money. How much? What do we call that? Tithe. 10%. A tithe. So what's a tithe? Yeah. What is a tithe, though? You just said it. A tithe is 10%. 10%. So if the church at this point is 120, what is a tenth of 120? 12. 12. What if the, the structure of the apostles, who've now become 12 again, is a symbol of the giving of the first fruits of the church back to God? And that that's actually happening at the Pentecost celebration when the new law is about to be given as well at the same time. 
Ooh. I don't know. I don't know. Take it for whatever you will. I just wonder if there's if there's something to this. The, the number 120 is significant to me. And the fact that there's 12 apostles out of 120, that makes a tithe. And this just happens to be the feast where every person in Israel gives a tenth of their first fruits. Wow. I, I, th- I think that's beautiful. And they all it's end cool, up martyred, it? too. And they all end up, well, except for John. John doesn't end up martyred? No, he's the only one who's not martyred. He dies of old age. So old dude. He's an old man. So anyway, so I think it's, I, I don't know. It's interesting, isn't it? It is interesting. I, 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 it's, it's actually really intriguing. I don't know what it means. I don't know either. But it, again, what, what you were talking about, you know, the one-to-one comparison, I mean, there is a giving of the first fruits. And it gives us a, a little insight, you know, despite all the scandals in our church, it gives you an insight into what the priesthood, what the bishops are supposed to be. They're supposed to be servants. They're supposed to be offered back to God for service. And that, that's kind of a beautiful thought, despite the fact that we all fall short sometimes. So that, that's Pentecost. So here we are. They're all gathered together. And it says in chapter 2, verse 1, they were all gathered in one place together. Who is them? Who is the they? It's the 120 that we talked about just a minute ago. That's who's gathered. It's not just mm. the apostles. It's not just Mary. It's, it's the everybody. whole 120. Presumably, right? Yeah. I don't see any reason to think it wouldn't be. And it says there came down uh, from the sky a noise like a strong driving wind. It filled the entire house and there appeared to them tongues as of fire which parted and came to rest on each of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in different tongues. No, Dude, I, I, I have to say that um, the tongue is really weird. Yeah. I mean, like, Isn't just it? like, like, like uh, just because as, as soon as I start thinking about the tongue, I, um, I, what what show did I see the other day? The Voice. Well, I love The Voice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was talking to somebody at the funeral, and they were talking, but they would open their mouth and their tongue was like very visible as they were talking. And I was like, this is way intense. <laughs> that I was like, this is not the gift of tongues that I'm thinking about. <laughs> and then, but then, but then I, and then, oh, I think it was once upon a time I saw that show and somebody like did a magic spell and pulled a tongue out of somebody's head and it was what? like wriggling in their hand. And That's I was creepy. like, dude, tongues are just weird. They're kind of like this like mutant worm thing that's in your mouth that allows you to talk and to form rolling arms. I can't, I can't roll my arms. Dude, it's fun to roll R's. You know, I can't whistle either. You can't whistle. Fun fact about me, I cannot whistle. Really? Yeah. Never? Nope. And my four-year-old daughter always reminds me of it and then whistles at me. Say, look, Daddy, you can't do this. Thanks, man. You're welcome. I just wanted to mock you. No, it's good. Yeah, dude, I, I'm feisty today. I don't no, mean to. Are. I don't mean to hurt Be you. Feisty, man. I'm sorry that Be I hurt feisty. you inside. No, no, get your feist. Okay. So tongues. Tongues are weird. Tongues are weird, and so. I look at them and I'm like going like tongue, like, okay, tongues of fire. Hmm. Um, I mean, I, sometimes you hear about flame licking at something. Do you? Yeah. Like the, yeah, the I guess you do. Yeah. Like the, the, I don't know how ancient that, that thing is or if, or if mm-hmm. it comes from the scriptural thing about the, 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 the flames were licking across the front of the building as it was torched <laughs> by the arsonist in Detroit. That was very specific. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a poet. That was good. Yeah. But I, I, I'm trying to understand this. Well, I don't, I mean, I mentioned this yesterday. We were talking about this yesterday a little bit, right? Dude, I was trying to give you an opening where it didn't sound like you had already told me about this. But I like to tell you that I told you. <laughs> <laughs> we did. We were actually talking about this. We did a little meditation. I have meditation. no problem with talking about that. I had, okay. I'm sorry. You tried to set me up. I'll I, edit I was, out. dude, I was like, that was like wiffle ball. I'm going to pitch one to you. And you're like, like, oh. T-ball. <laughs> Put it on the T. And I- <laughs> that was totally T-ball. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then you didn't have to mention any of that. And you'd be like, dude, I totally have the same question. 
Well, I didn't want to steal your thunder. I didn't know if you were going to steal all my material and <laughs> just go for it yourself. <laughs> I, I had this insight. It was incredible. Yeah, no, nah, man. I try not to do that too much. <laughs> no, you don't. I do that to my friend Megan Dillon. I, I Megan like Dillon. literally she has she has these like really witty one liners every once in a while, and I will just totally steal them oh, and claim man. them for my Come own. Come on, man. Yeah, mean. I'm sorry, Megan. It's all right. I shouldn't. <laughs> I don't have any. <laughs> okay, okay. okay. But to talk to, so you have to tell the I people about what we're talking about with the tongues. Okay, too. tongues. I don't think so. At tongues, when you hear about tongues, what do you think of? You think of. We're not talking about beef tongues. I'm right? thinking about Isn't the worm delicacy? in my mouth. The worm in your mouth. It's don't people lot. eat beef tongue? Isn't that a delicacy? It is. I don't like it. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> uh, but tongues, I mean, even the way Acts of the Apostles uses it, in the next line it says they were speaking in different tongues. So tongues, I, I don't think, and I've done, I've done some searches on this, and it's not exhaustive, but I don't know of any other place in any piece of literature where fire is described as a tongue, except in... Acts of the Apostles, or at least in reference to this passage in some way. So it, it, it's weird. So, so basically what you're, what you're seeing is tongues, tongue, tongue is a sound. Tongue is either a thing in your mouth or it's a sound. You're speaking in tongues or different tongues or different languages. So it says there appeared to them tongues that looked like fire. So in other words, I'm reading that. I mean, if you're just reading this and you don't know about this weird metaphor about tongues, you're just hearing they heard language that looked like fire. Now, what does language usually look like? Um, well, it, if you're in the Matrix, it looks like like the little wavy things. That's but true, it but does. Uh, you've ruined my. You've but that's ruined my but, point. But that's special effects. You can't that's see. True. You can't see. Yeah, tongue. Yeah, you can't see them because oh. language doesn't look like anything. It sounds like something. Right. So Luke is mixing his metaphors here. There's this weird mixed metaphor, but here's where it gets interesting. And again, this is what we were talking about before. I don't know why I feel a need to always reference the fact that we already talked about this. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> Um, dude, this is a, this is a fun podcast. The people are going to be like so ADD on us, get dude. On to your point, um, is what they're saying to us. <laughs> now, again, what is Pentecost celebrating? Well, the first fruits, but it's also celebrating the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai, right? Yes, the first time in the Exodus. And I think there's an insight here. I, I think it's Philo. That's what I said yesterday, but I'm not 100% sure. I think it's Philo in a work called the Decalogue. No, Philo definitely wrote the Decalogue. So Philo was this Jewish historian who wrote kind of these these commentaries on Jewish history and what happened. He's got a work called the Decalogue in which he talked about the giving of the Ten Commandments, what that looked like, what it was all about. And in his writing of the Decalogue, and every Jew knew this. They all knew this. They read it. They'd heard it growing up. But he has this writing about when... God gave the Ten Commandments. They were all standing at the foot of Mount Sinai. And as you looked up at Mount Sinai, you can read about this in, in Exodus. There was fire that descended on Mount Sinai, right? Mm-hmm. And they all heard God's voice. Now, here's what Philo says. He says, the crowd down below, they heard the voice of God, and the voice of God was so real and so tangible that they seemed to be seeing it rather than just hearing it. So God's voice, God's language speaking on Mount Sinai in fire mm. was so real that they seemed to be seeing it rather than just hearing it. Now, I don't know what that means or what that looked like or what they would have been experiencing. Yeah. But if you understand the weirdness of that, yeah. then maybe that's an insight into this new law that's mm. now being given in a new upper place, right? We're not on a mountain anymore, but we're in an upper room. Yeah. And you have a new church that's gathered, and you have a new fire that's coming down, this wind coming forth. There was wind on the on Mount Sinai as well, this driving wind. And all of a sudden, they're filled with a new law. But it's not on stone tablets anymore. Now it's literally written onto their hearts through the person of the Holy Spirit. And there's this new reality. I mean, it, it is, it's the new law again. 
And what do they do? Then they go out to every nation under heaven that's staying in. Everybody's in Jerusalem for the feast. They're all there for Pentecost to celebrate it. And there was this huge crowd that's gathered around. And you get the, the rundown of all the places that they're from, the universality of this. And they're all hearing about the mighty acts of God in their own tongues, in their own language. It's a really neat scene, though. It's interesting because people of all nations and tongues, like yes. there's a there's a there's a designator as well as the uh, uh, with the word tongues. Huh. So the power, like so, as the as the Holy Spirit's coming down upon them in tongues, it's uh, it may be a, it's like a universal reality in the yeah. same way that that flame treats everything the same way. Oh, that's interesting. In the wa- in the same way that water treats everything the same way. It's it's actually wow. penetrating and the like the the tongues, like it's and it goes to everybody in its own unique capacity. Oh, that's cool. So, because because I guarantee that you know the the guys from Galilee they could tell them by their speech. Right. Yeah. They had they had their own unique um, colloquialism. Which don't they say that when when Peter is at the at the barbecue pit when he was watching Jesus on trial? Yes. They say we recognize your language. Yes. Your tongue. You're from, you're a Galilean. And and it's yeah. like you can tell somebody from Manchester, and then you can tell somebody from Bride's Head, or somebody from right. Down Abbey, right, James and Karis? <laughs> Dude, I just offended all of our British listeners. I'm sorry. I really, or, or which we or, have three, or I ennobled them. I let's say you ennobled them. Yes, please. I, I was really trying to do that, but I know nothing about the different dialects from. Except for like My Fair Lady and like <laughs> and some like 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 British pop from the nineties, like EMF or something, you know. <laughs> I have a video I want to show you after. <laughs> Maybe I'll put it on our website. Okay. Anyway. Um it's cool. It's really cool. We should move on to the psalm. Okay. Because I think there's a tie in there. I mean, what is the psalm? It's Psalm one oh four. There's Italian there? <laughs> a tie in? Oh Italian. Italian. There's, a, there's, Italian. A, there's an Italian there. Hey, <laughs> Italian what you there. doing? Hey, we got <laughs> Why some, you reading my song? We got some tongs, man. This or this is absurd. <laughs> <laughs> so Psalm one oh four, Lord send out your spirit and renew the face of the earth. Which is precisely what he's doing in Acts of the Apostles, right? He's sending his spirit and it is doing what? It's renewing the face of the earth by bringing all these people what we don't see in acts of the apostles the very next thing that happens is that three thousand people are baptized in that's one renewing pop, which is which is renewing the face of the earth isn't it well it, and, and what's cool is when you go to the holy land is that you see the the mikvah baths oh yeah yeah and that the, and there's actually mechanism there to be able to, to do actually do three thousand baptisms there was they were baths on the southern side of the temple that allowed you to yeah. become ritually pure so that you could enter into the temple. Right. But they had to have a whole lot of water and a whole lot of space to do it. And so if you go there now, you can still see those baths. Wow. And so, you, I mean, just the practicality, how do you baptize 3,000 people? They didn't have fire hoses. And, right. you, and you, right. still, you still actually can't baptize uh, universally. You always have to baptize individually. Right. right. And so they had to baptize 3,000 individuals. Man, that's like... But there's that, 120 of them. Which, what's the math on that? I don't know. Somebody do some math and we'll send it to us. <laughs> <laughs> I can just get out my calculator. And we'll send my... you a lanky guys t-shirt. <laughs> no, we don't have <laughs> I I'll was like, it. I was like, do not promise what you can. I'll get, a, I'll get a white t-shirt and a Sharpie. <laughs> okay. That's, so, oh. Are you doing the math? That's only 25 a piece. That's not too bad. Dude, 120 people baptizing 3,000 is like 25 a piece. It's perfect. That's super easy. I wouldn't go that far. It was pretty good. 
And it's not, I mean, that, that's what's cool about this psalm, too. It's send out your spirit and renew the face of the earth. Not just renew Israel, not just renew Palestine. But look, everybody is there from everywhere. And so all of these new baptized Christians are going to go back across the globe, across the known world at the time. And they will begin the slow process of renewing the face of the earth. It's just kind of a neat, this is the psalm, by the way, was always prayed traditionally. Um, in the east, it was prayed at sunrise. And in the west, it was prayed at vespers, at sundown. Which tells you in the in the Christian tradition, it was prayed kind of the beginning and the end of the day because it was for the, for the Christian for Benedict for Saint Benedict, it was understood to be kind of the beginning and the end. It goes out. The Psalm actually, if you follow the whole of Psalm one hundred four, it kind of follows God through the days of creation, all the things that he have cre- he has created and, and breathed his life into, and all these different things. So it's showing the totality of God's love for the world, which um, yeah, which is what he's doing here in baptism. Lord, send out your spirit and renew the face of the earth. The face of the earth. The face of the earth. All right, First Corinthians. Four core. Um, did we have an option, though, man? We can choose. Oh, oh Romans. Sorry. Yes, I actually would rather do Romans. First core or Romans? We choose Romans. We choose Romans. If you, choose, if you chose First Corinthians... Please go and turn to page 47 in Choose Your Own Adventure. <laughs> Did you ever read those books? Oh, yeah. I love Choose Your Own Adventure. Yeah, man. dude. Me too. They're the best. Now, okay. <laughs> a couple of things we have to say about this. I had some really good thoughts before I came up to your house. Now I forget. Dude, that's what happens. I needed to give you coffee. Oh, you I denied you coffee today. See, Avery, I'm not drinking it either, and I'm a wreck at the moment. Yeah, it's dude. It's, so don't worry. That's okay. Um, So... It, what did, what did I want to say about this? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is great. I know what I want to say about this. Okay. <laughs> nice work. Um, so he begins by saying, Brother, this is Romans chapter 8. Brothers and sisters, those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh on the country or in the spirit. One, one thing I have to get out of the way, because I always tell my, my classes this when I teach on Romans, Paul uses the term flesh in a couple different ways throughout his letter. Sarks. Sarks. Yeah, very good. S-A-R-X in the Greek is flesh. Which is where we get the word sarcasm. Which means oh. to divide flesh. I didn't realize that. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are you being sarcastic? Yeah, I was trying oh. to be. I was trying to be sarcastic. That was good. Yeah, I had a. Sorry. Okay. It's hard not to go on tangents, isn't it, dude? Like I, I last week there was no tangents because I wasn't here, and I'm trying to make up for last week. In fact, <laughs> Thanks, it was my one goal as we were going today to just keep pulling you off. It's, this, <laughs> you are doing this is this You're is what we call like bi- biblical ADD, man. Like if you've maintained at this point in the podcast, you deserve a hand done T-shirt by Scott. I will give it to you okay. if you. Well. I shouldn't make that promise. <laughs> Never mind. Okay, okay. okay so Paul uses flesh in a number he, of different he ways. He does. So it's just it's one of those things we have to be careful about language, especially in the letters of Paul, because Paul's letters have been so fought over. But sarks can be used in one of two different ways based, based on the context. Flesh can either just be human flesh, which is just kind of a neutral reality. I mean, he says at some points, Jesus took on human flesh. That's good. That's a fine thing. I mean, we want Jesus to have taken on flesh because that's us. But he can also use the term flesh in a negative context, referring to our fallen, sinful human nature. Yes. And depending on what context Paul is talking about, you have to be careful there. So just 
you know, I, I was in a debate with a Lutheran pastor and he was talking about Paul's use of the word flesh, you know, when we're fleshly beings, which means we're inherently sinful and depraved. And I said, no, no, that's not necessarily the case. I mean, if we're acting upon our sinful nature, then yes, but just simply being in flesh is not a negative thing. So that might seem like a weird point to bring up, but this that's actually been a source of, of division among certainly Lutherans and Catholics and, and others. Yep. But here Paul's, Paul's in the negative sense. He's talking about flesh, not in the sense of the stuff that we have, you know, that makes up our skin. Yeah. He's talking about our fallen sinful nature. And here's here's what's going on, just a little context on this, because this is actually all about baptism, which ties us back into the first reading. And what Paul's doing in, in, in chapter 7, where we just have come from in Romans here, now we're in chapter 8, Paul gives this big argument about the nature of sin and the nature of the old law and all this stuff. And he basically says, he, he gives this reason, he, well, he goes through this whole long thing saying, you know what, because you've been baptized, you are a new creation in Christ, and you are this beautiful reality. You've died with Christ, you've died to the old Adam, you've been risen with him. And he said, uh, you know, he goes through the Old Testament history and says, you know what, we, we've fallen short all these ways, and the law could never actually fulfill what God wanted of us and what we needed to be as humans. Yet, every time we sin, God gives more grace. And so he has this interesting line it's in chapter six and seven. When the more we sin, the more grace God poured out. Mm. And if you heard somebody say, "Well, the more sin you do, the more grace God's going to give you," what's your logical reaction? I'm going to sin more. I'm going to sin some more, which Paul expects you to say. And he says, I think it's in chapter seven. He says, "What shall we say to this? Should I sin more, knowing that God's going to give me more, more grace?" And he says, "Noi kanoiko," which is this really strong, emphatic Greek term that means absolutely not. And Paul then goes into this explanation of, okay, why shouldn't you sin? If you're a Christian, if you're a Catholic, if you're baptized, why should you not sin? What he does not say is because if you're a sinner, you're going to go to hell. He could have said that, but he doesn't. He says you should not sin because it's not who you are. It's a lie about your identity. If you've been baptized, if you've been like one of these 3,000 up in Acts of the Apostles, then you actually have died with Christ. You have risen again with him in new life. You are a new creation. And if you sin, you're not just gaining punishment for yourself, but you're lying about your identity. You're living out a lie. Wow. So why would you want to live that way, which is a much different approach than you're going to fry in hell if you sin too much, right? Ah, stoke the fires, <laughs> sinner. <laughs> Angry John- God is coming. <laughs> yeah, totally John Paul II thing. had a great line about this. He said, Christian, become who you are. Yes. Which I, I love that line. Dude, you that's are. a killer. Yeah. I mean, And that's kind of the context here. That's what Paul's talking about in all this. There, that's sorry. That it's not killer. It's resurrector. <laughs> yeah, well, it's both technically. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> but it's cool. But again, this is tying back into what he's what we're doing in the in the beginning. I I'm mean, totally moved by that. Actually. Isn't it neat? Yeah, yeah. Like this is the thing is that we're we're always working on trying to um, move around people's defenses um, because people are weaponized against Christianity from media, from their families, from all sorts of different ways. And so, how mm-hmm. do you actually talk to somebody? And Paul's saying it right here. He's yeah. like. He's like, what is your identity? Yes, exactly. And I mean, that—that that is like uh, the main work that we have to do is to say, who are you? And yes. people want to know who they are. Right. I want to know who I am. I want to be clarified and say, man, I get me. Right. Oh, I get true. you. And then, and then I get you. Yeah. And then they say, I want to get God. And these are all, this is all the reality of yeah. uh, tied into identity. And, and, and so yeah. it's, it says, you know, if you just look at sin, you say, that's not you. Exactly. Then you're like, it's not, oh, you're an awful person. You're going to be punished. You're going to have to, you know, you might, there is punishment, but 
It's just a different way of, it's a different paradigm. Yeah, but what father who loves his child doesn't want to help them to be who they truly are. Because they know their true identity. So don't steal cartons of cigarettes in your parka jacket, kids. Stop it, guys. Enough of the stealing. Enough. That is not you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I was going to give more parenthood analogies. Oh. So it's cool. Okay, and we that got. That brings us to John. We got to uh, choose your own adventure again. Well, I think what you had for us. So we did. Re- Father Peter and I did a little reflection on this yesterday. Letter. And we chose the second one. <laughs> we chose the two thousand letter run. John John fourteen. John fourteen. Yeah. And Jesus said to his his disciples, "If you love me." And by the way, this John fourteen is coming about chapter two before uh, the passion narrative starts. So he hasn't quite entered into the Last Supper yet and the trial and everything. So he's. Um, he's telling them what's about to happen. And this is where he tells them, you're going to have an advocate. You, you are going to receive this parakaleo, right? This, this, the one who walks with you. Yeah, the one who's going to walk with you, the Holy Spirit. But he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate to be with you always. Um, it, I think it ties into the, the reading from um, Romans really well. Because again, what, why should we not sin? Why should we act a certain way? Well, it's not just out of fear of punishment. It's because we love him. It's a relationship. I mean, you know, I shouldn't commit adultery against my wife, not just because, oh my gosh, I might get in trouble, I might get kicked out of the house, but because, no, I actually love this person, and I mm. ought not do that because of her sake, yep. because I actually love her, and there's a relationship there, which is what um, Christ is saying about the commandments, about the law, which well, we just always misunderstand. Which is really, this This is the thing, is that um, uh, all sin, I mean, an advocate, somebody who's going to be your advocate, especially when you're looking at sinful things, mm. is... It, when things get really hard, by the way, they're always going to get hard. Always. They're, we live in a fallen world, and, and the devil is thrashing about trying to take us out, kind of like fallen what we were talking redeemed. about. Fallen but redeemed. Fallen but redeemed, like we were at the beginning. And um, you need an advocate to say, dude, that is not who you are. That it does not make sense in your identity. Right. And like, and, and that's actually that's built and ingrained yes. in the depths of us. Yeah. That's it, it's really funny kind of that's kind of what catholic guilt is a little bit. It is actually. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> it's like it's like oh man you, you know that that isn't you and like you're like and yeah, then yeah I know. I know. I'm like <laughs> But I mean, if we didn't have that knowledge there wouldn't really be guilt. I mean guilt comes from a fact of actually knowing that something's true and you've lied. Yes. Right? I mean, th- so this is this line. You know, we always hear this line. Well, my, you know, I, I got drunk last night, but I'm, I'm only human. Or I did this thing, or I committed adultery, or I, whatever, you know, but I'm only human. No, right? man, you've been drawn into the Godhead. You're not just human. Well, but, but what does it mean to be human? Being human means to be made in the image and likeness of God. Yeah. So that means every time we sin, we actually become less human. So it's improper to say, oh, I'm only human, though. I mean... I'm only You're not. human it's, <laughs> with the blood. blood. Oh, man. All right. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> Dude, come on, dude. We just sang a chorus of I'm only human. <laughs> this podcast is the best thing it on, is. on the internet. We're going to close with that song. <laughs> okay. No, we won't. <laughs> oh, yeah, we probably shouldn't. Why? We can sing it ourselves. It'll be our own episode of The Voice. <laughs> I'm perfect. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> By the way, th- this whole idea about <laughs> stop it, the advocate, the, you know, just I don't know if this is applicable or not, but I always think it's necessary to point out the Holy Spirit doesn't appear for the first time in the New Testament. 
you know, the Holy Spirit's obviously active throughout the Old Testament, but there's a difference. I mean, and, in, the, and in every culture of all time, semini verbi, the yeah. seeds of the word, the Spirit is always constantly working in it, and like your hand that's <laughs> spinning in the air. Point. Okay. No, but, you know, so the, but you're right. But explicitly in the Old Testament. So the Spirit, remember, hovered over the waters at creation, yeah. and that's what I'm doing here. Okay. Um, but in other times, you remember in the Old Testament, so that we'll have kings or prophets or judges, and it says God's Spirit came to rest upon them. Yeah. But it's always a temporary reality. So God's Holy Spirit will rest on a king in Israel for a particular purpose, or a prophet for the sake yeah. of his mission. Mm. It's unprecedented for that same Spirit, which is made for kings and prophets and priests and everything else in the Old Testament, to come into the likes of you and I as infants and dwell in us perpetually and eternally. Whoa, it's that's a universal nuts. gift. That's awesome. Yeah, but that's what this advocate is actually doing. Man, that's... It's that's, unprecedented. That's what my sister says. She says uh, whenever... She she taught her children whenever they pass by um, homeless people, she says... Th- th- and yes, they say, you know, awesome. the, the fallen king, you know? Yeah. It's a fallen queen. Oh, let me give the king some money. Yeah, that's, that's I what, think it's awesome. That's like, dude, that'll bust your heart open when you hear a six-year-old go like, Seriously. can I give the king some money? And you're like... A uh, dude, yeah, yeah, you can. yeah. You, you can give him your ice cream cone too. <laughs> that, but that's just because we're only human. <laughs> Forty nine. <laughs> <laughs> God bless y'all. Thank you guys for listening. We will be back next Write week. Write us at thank you guys at thomascenter.org. dot Visit us on Facebook. Send us a message. Poke us. Don't poke, poke us. <laughs> it's, it's creepy. <laughs> Bye. See ya. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.